This is Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is Good News Day. And we have a lot to celebrate. But I want to ask you at the same time to remember that it's all the way back on Friday of this week, what we call Good Friday, when Jesus said, It is finished. John chapter 19 records that for us. It says, When he'd received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What was finished then? And then why are we celebrating on Sunday? What does that have to do with it? Well, first of all, sin was finished. On the cross, on Good Friday, when Jesus died, Jesus was going after sin. He was going after the sin of the whole world. Romans 5, 12 reminds us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death, the the ugly side effect of sin, that would come next in Jesus' plans, but that wasn't Jesus' main target here. He was going after the main problem, sin. Sin was what corrupted all people that were created in God's image, created to worship him. Sin is what separates us from God. It's what leads to death, at least to physical death, at least to spiritual death, eternal death. So Jesus went after sin. And to do that, he actually embraced death himself. Hebrews 9 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, death, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin can't be fixed. Sin can't be overcome without death. And this is what Jesus purposed to do. He told his disciples in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He had purposed to do that. That's why he came to this earth. First John 4, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved, his, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son for this, to die for our sins, to die instead of us, instead of me, instead of you, Jesus died. A great passage from Isaiah 53 reminds us of this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, our sin, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The debt that he paid, the consequences that he received instead of us for our sin undoes everything that sin did. Or rather, it restores everything that sin has undone. The verse right before that in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That relationship with God can be restored because of Jesus' death for our sins. And when I say us, I'm talking about those who have turned from their sin, those who have turned to faith in Christ. I'm I believe that's most of you. And for that, we find this a great reason to celebrate. Uh, but if that's not you, if you don't even know what we're talking about, if you're not sure if that applies to you, keep listening. Jesus told his disciples this. This is why he came. This is why he was going to Jerusalem. This is why he was going to die. And again, many of you know the end of the story. He died, but that wasn't the end. If you don't know the end of the story, stick around. The disciples didn't know the end of the story. And so they saw this death of Jesus. And they must have been confused. They must 
have wondered what is going on. And what happened on that day uh, was quite significant. And there were a lot of really strange things happening. And it was captured in this quote from a man named Douglas Webster. Similarly, at the beginning of Jesus' life, there were strange events happening. At the birth of the Son of God, there was brightness at midnight. But at the death of the Son of God, there was darkness at noon. In the middle of the day, everything all of a sudden became dark. There was something bad happening here. The, the death of the Messiah, the death of the Son of God. And then there was an earthquake, and, and the disciples must have known this is, this is not a good thing. Or, or at least some of it's not good. And that is meant to teach us how bad sin is, how severe sin is. Uh, that, that Jesus dying for our sin was a, a momentous event filled with all these dark, sad, bad things happening. Alistair Begg quoted, Our sin must be absolutely horrendous if it takes the death of God's only son to fix it. Now before we return to the celebration of the resurrection, I encourage you to sing these next couple songs in light of the death of Christ on the cross and in light of our sin, remember that our sin costs something. Remember that it costs the blood of Jesus. Remember that it is finished. And also remember, it is not that we've loved God, but that he loved us, that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Matthew 28 after Jesus was crucified and buried in the tomb, Jesus' closest followers were left in confusion and fear. Even as there was darkness that came over the earth at noontime when Jesus died, there was also dark despair that was left in the hearts of Jesus' disciples and his closest friends. Because Jesus was dead. He was buried it wasn't supposed to end like this. He was supposed to be the ruler. He was supposed to be the king. But that darkness didn't last long. On Sunday morning, Matthew 28, verse 1, says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Those are beautiful words, and those are the reasons why we actually meet each Sunday. I don't know if you were aware of that. It's because of this. It's because of the resurrection that happened on that Sunday morning. It's why we meet together. It's why it's been the tradition of the early church uh, going all the way back. Each. Start over. Matthew 28. After Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb, Jesus' closest followers. No. Ah. Matthew 28. After Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb, Jesus' closest followers were left in confusion and fear. Even as there was darkness that came over uh, the earth at noontime when Jesus died. There was a dark despair that came over the hearts of Jesus' followers, Jesus' closest friends, because he was dead. 
wasn't supposed to end like this. He was supposed to be the ruler. He was supposed to be the king. But that darkness didn't last long. Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, finally light when there should be light coming at dawn. He rose from the dead that Sunday morning. I don't know if you knew, but that's why we meet on Sundays. Dating back through early church history, and even today it's our tradition to meet on Sunday mornings because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. This makes this Sunday morning all the harder because we long to be together all the more on Easter Sunday because that's why we get together. And as this is difficult for us today, maybe God allowed this uh, for us to maybe understand a little bit more what it's like to be in a persecuted country that our brothers and sisters in Christ have to go through each Sunday that, that pain of trying to meet together but unable to on a variety of occasions. I pray that we allow this pain to sit with us, that it sits in our hearts and that it allows us to long for the day that we will get to be together. That it'll sit in us so well that, and so much and so often that when we have a random Sunday in September and we have the option to do other things, that we'll feel that pain and say, we need to be together And as much as we're able to, we will strive to be together as a church. Verse 2 goes on to say, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone and sat on it. Why would the angel roll back the tomb, roll back the stone? Why would he do that? It wasn't for Jesus' sake. We know that in Jesus' risen, fleshly body, that he was able to walk through walls to meet with his disciples. It wasn't for him. It was for the Marys that showed up at the tomb so that they could see in. In verse 5, the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Then he says, Come see the place where he laid. Come see for yourself. And as they went back and told the disciples, they came running and they got to look in and see where Jesus was. If there was ever a time to be skeptical of Jesus rising from the dead, it would have been then. The tomb was open. Anybody could have walked in and seen Jesus' folded grave clothes right there in the tomb. Could the disciples have stolen him? No. The tomb was sealed. There were guards posted. There's no way for them to get by all of that without anybody hearing about it. Was it the guards? Was it the, maybe the Pharisees stole him out of that tomb? They were the ones who put them there to the, in the first place. So there's no way that could have happened. It would have defeated the purpose of why they crucified him. But Jesus, he, he doesn't just uh, vanish from this tomb, but he appears to so many, to his disciples over and over again. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he appeared to over 500 people. The best time to prove that he had not risen from the dead would have been right then. But there was no evidence to be found because he was alive and he showed himself to so many people. But the stone was also rolled back for you and for me. 
It is clear that he is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. Oh, the joy that we can have today because we have a Savior who has not only died and paid for our sins, but has risen from the dead and given us victory in him. Oh, the joy. Now, were those disciples, were they still in trouble? Did they still have some real people to fear for their lives? Yes. They had people coming after them. But it's different now because Jesus is alive. He had shown victory over the grave. What else could hold him back? Was their struggle of living in a sin-cursed world like we're seeing now? Yeah, there's still the struggle. But now Jesus is alive. So there's victory that we know of that is going to happen, that one day this earth is going to be made new and then we will be with God. We will be with Jesus. The disciples were able to see him, feel his hands. They broke bread with him. What a wonderful joy to know and live on this side that Jesus is alive. That quote that Pastor Kyle shared with us a little bit ago from Alistair Begg, our sin must be horrendous if it takes God's only son to fix it. Let me add to that now. Our eternal and daily hope must be unwavering if God's only son has already risen. Since he has already fixed that horrendous sin problem, we can have hope, not just for the eternal, not just for the future, but each and every day we can live with hope. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's like somebody has paid off the, the debt of a house, of the of a house that you can never live in. What good would that be for you? You'd be like, oh, that's nice. But it's not just a random house's debt that's paid. What if your house, your house's debt got paid off and you get to live in that house and enjoy it each and every day? If you put your faith and trust in Christ, repent and ask God for forgiveness of your sins, then your debt will be paid off. You can live every day with hope and joy. Do you believe that? You can turn to God right now, right there in your own living room. You can turn to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. For my trust and faith in you, a living Savior. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus was telling Martha before his death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe in this Jesus? Now, even though we have this pain around us, even though a risen Savior doesn't mean that all the problems in my life are going to be fixed, it made me think of Job in Job chapter 19 when he had his, all his children taken away from him. 
all his cattle, everything that he had to live off of taken away, his health taken away. He says this in verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself? And my eyes shall behold and not another. We live differently because my Redeemer lives. That's how I live differently. That's how you, I'm sure, live differently. And I trust you've been able to share that um, through uh, online as everybody's been on social media now. I trust that you've used that time to share with others that your Redeemer lives. Maybe you can share that this week. If you haven't done that yet, I encourage you, I challenge you to take time to share a video or something about how Jesus changed you because he lives. And because my Redeemer lives, because your Redeemer lives, you can face tomorrow. So can I. And because he lives, all fear is gone. It is so true that Jesus is the one who rescues. Unfortunately, there are many people who do not believe that or accept that. One particular person was a man by the name of Paul. He was a religious leader back in the day. And uh, he not only didn't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin and was buried and rose again, he also persecuted those who would teach the same things that Pastor Kyle and Pastor Matt articulated earlier in our service. For he was one who wanted to ensure that that type of message didn't go out. That was until he met Jesus after his resurrection in his resurrection body, and he knew for sure now that which had been told was true. Now Paul's testimony in regard to the resurrection of Christ is clear throughout uh, much of the book of Acts as he shares with those who are willing to listen about how that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And also throughout several of the letters in the New Testament that he wrote, uh, he will talk about the value of the resurrection. But you know, there's not one place that is more accurate or clear. There is not one place that is more clear than that of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Paul has been approaching the people at Corinth about several things that they need to change. They had a lot of difficulties in regard to their, uh, their fleshly desires, their lack of consistency, their division and lack of unity. And he deals with all these various things. And even in chapter 14, he's talking about the importance of their worship. And he concludes that time by uh, that time of talking about their worship by saying this: that all things should be done decently and in order. And it is from that phrase that he starts unfolding the statements that he has about the resurrection and how that it is the true gospel. There are three things that we want to talk about as we conclude our time together in regard to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and as we celebrate this great resurrection day. And they come out of this, uh, these 58 verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. But the first item is to believe that we have to have faith 
But the first item is that we need to receive it in faith. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And he goes on to say, I delivered what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. This says that he was our substitute. Jesus Christ took on our sins so that we didn't have to pay them. As the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but we know that all through the Old Testament talks about a sacrificial lamb and that Jesus would be that lamb. As John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God. And we know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he not only experienced the pain of the whips, the pain of the beating, the pain of the crown on his head, but he, and the pain of the nails in his hands, he also experienced the pain of our sin being forced down upon him as he paid the debt for us. Christ died for our sins, just in accordance with the scripture said he would. He is our substitute. He took our punishment. Paul goes on to say that he was also buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus Christ is alive. He is our advocate. That means he uh, not only took our punishment, uh, he gives us our righteousness that comes from him. And that as a result that we can live in victory uh, throughout our days and anticipate eternity uh, when he uh, brings us home so that we can be with him. Not only should we receive this in faith, we should really rejoice in hope because it is our hope of the resurrection that really truly frees us to live. Paul goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our very faith is built upon the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection of ourselves. And he says this in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those truths that Pastor Kyle shared about the fact that the death of Jesus Christ took care of our sins, uh, they would be futile if there was no resurrection. We would still be in our sins. And then Paul goes on to say this, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in this hope. It should motivate us in this life as we desire to serve him and to rejoice in him. And as Paul cl- concludes this, uh, this chapter on the resurrection, he says this, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you la- your labor is not in vain. We do not labor in vain. It's interesting that Paul over and over again clarifies that there is nothing that we can do in our work or our labor to be able to make ourselves righteous before a holy God. We all come short of the glory of God. It is not about Jesus's work on the cross plus our works. It is solely about believing in what he has done. But what a joy to realize that we 
are not only able to experience this grace and have a home up in heaven, but that we are able to do a valid work on his behalf. Our labor is not in vain. These days are difficult where we are just looking for something that we can grasp onto that we are actually having an impact, that our lives are essential, that we have something that we can accomplish. And it is through the truth of God's word that we are are able to witness the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and to have that knowledge. That means that those things that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ are not in vain. So we encourage you not only to receive this wonderful truth in faith and to rejoice in hope, but we also encourage you to resolve to work, to be willing to be God's instrument in impacting the lives of others at a time when there is such a need for hope. Christ is our hope in life and death. And there is plenty for us to rejoice in and many, many reasons for us to praise him. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to share the truth of your word. I pray that people will understand that Christ died for their sins and that there's nothing else they can do but accept that and receive that so they can have a right relationship with you. And Father, I pray that we will regularly rejoice in this and that we will share how important this is in our life, that uh, we can share with others that you indeed have changed our lives. And Father, may we recognize that our labor is not in vain and that we can be faithful in serving you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.